Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as normally, you'll find uh, myself and Andrew ready to give you 20 minutes or so of our thoughts on matters of the moment in the hotel investment space. So myself, I'm Chris Bound, the editor of Hotel Analyst, and Andrew Sankster is the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And you join us as it's results season from all the big hotel groups. They've been giving us their their numbers for the fourth quarter of 2022 and rounding up their results for the full year, uh, 2022. And by and large, um, it's almost back to business as usual from three years ago. They've all substantially built back their businesses compared to 2021. And by the end of 2022, most were achieving results similar to the previous peak of performance in 2019. Um, By and large, uh, occupancy is slightly down, rate is slightly up, leisure is up, uh, business travel volumes are slightly down. But all are mostly feeling pretty chipper because let's face it, the previous couple of years through the pandemic were pretty dreadful. And uh, it's just nice to be back to some kind of feeling of some sort of normality. Um, and we we start off by having a quick chat about the uh, two of the big players in the space, Hyatt and Marriott. Uh, Marriott, obviously the, the biggest, Hyatt, but Hyatt coming on the rails with a, an impressive pace of growth, which is uh, certainly puts them ahead of the pack in terms of um, growth there. They've achieved net growth of 6.7% in their portfolio in 2022, and they reckon they're going to achieve a further 6% in 2023. Um, of course, they've they did some big deals which were quite transformative in terms of growing their portfolio, uh, buying the Apple Leisure Resorts business, and uh, more recently, uh, a portfolio acquisition in Germany, buying into a Lindner Group in Germany. And uh, they certainly do appear to have the momentum. Uh, but if you want to have scale and look at scale, then you've obviously got um, Marriott. Uh, they've been busy looking around for opportunities, and their um, most recent acquisition was uh, the City Express portfolio in uh, quite a dynamic business in Mexico, um, albeit uh, sort of towards the lower end of Marriott's um, brand scale. So, um, Andrew, I think just feels like they're all pretty doing quite quite well and quite relieved to be back at it again. Yeah, <clears throat> and I think I'm going to focus on Marriott, which is the industry bellwether. It's the biggest uh, global hotel uh, brand major out there. It's a 50 billion plus market cap, 53 billion, I think, at uh, podcast time. Um mm-hmm. And I think there are a number of themes that uh, came out of uh, their full year numbers or their Q4 numbers. Um, uh, First theme, that there are still demand tailwinds to kick in. Um, You mentioned about business travel still being below. Um, I think there's more to come in terms of recovery there. We'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. Um, but you've also got group coming back and I think that's less controversial everybody does expect group to come back quite Mm -hmm. strongly um, and it's still on the way Um, and then you also have the reopening of China you know 150 million outbound uh, pre-lockdown 20 million um, if you were lucky in 2020 and 2021 Um, I'm not quite sure they got to 20 million actually but anyway Mm. um, surprise if it's any at all but uh, uh, um so you've, you've got that those tailwinds there on the demand side um 
there are no signs of demand being impacted by economic worries and this you know all hoteliers are reporting this although what they are saying is financing is much harder for owners and this is reflected i think partially i wouldn't say nugs the net unit growth numbers are particularly low but they are probably just just off a shade from from the peak of where they were so i think that's going to be you know it's a function of that that this tougher financing environment um better news is supply chain disruptions construction cost increases and the availability of labor have all improved um let's pick on business travel because i think this is a very interesting area and um it gets quite nuanced and it's worth digging into the the you know um investigating the weeds or whatever the phrase is um digging uh, digging into the weeds yeah, yeah. digging into the weeds that's absolutely okay, thank you yeah. and what you look at that Marriott saying business travel is currently about 90% of where it was in 2019 but for small and medium enterprises which account for 60% or so uh, just over 60% of the total of transient business travel uh, for Marriott that has more than fully recovered so in Q4 2022 Marriott said that SME bit was 6% above Q4 in 2019. So the takeaway from that is that the um, the big corporates are significantly behind still. Um, mm -hmm. If you say more than half of it is actually now above um, where it was in 2019, by you know to get down 10% below, you've got to have a fair big chunk of. I um, haven't quite done the done the math as the Americans would say. I'm talking about Marriott. Um, are working out exactly how much but oh god it must be at least 20 percent plus down um, um in terms of the business travel piece um to get the the numbers to stack so um the the, the big corporate uh uh piece is is still very weak actually now I think you've got to be an extreme pessimist to believe that if SMEs have more than fully recovered, why on earth won't big corporates get back to travel? Now, there are some industries which are suffering at the moment. So tech is the obvious example. There's a load of layoffs coming um, out there, um, happening out there. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's suffering. But you wouldn't say the defence industry is suffering right now, and that's <laughs> booming, um, sadly. Um, so to um, healthcare, that's similarly very robust. Um, finance consulting is back on track as well. So we have, you know, these big areas of demand for business travel. Um, their businesses are... Um, you know uh, fully back so one would anticipate actually as competition heats up they're gonna get their people back on the road again i really struggle to see why apart from some pushback with regard to um the the sustainability piece you know what headwinds are there in terms of the recovery of business travel i just think they're laggards and that they've had um um, very tight controls by their finance departments which have prevented them coming out there but the the demand to get traveling again is is just going to be insatiable i would wager um in this coming year and we're going to see that come back very strongly indeed so 
um, I, you know, I, I don't buy into this permanent impairment on business travel bit that does the rounds. Well, and I, I I'll just, I mean, I'll just chuck in something there I picked up the other day from a, mm -hmm. a, a webinar I was listening to with the EY webinar, and that was someone from HSBC saying, you know, we are traveling less often, but we are staying longer. Oh, yep. Yeah, no, that was what I was about to okay. say. I do get, get to the that punch, bit. No, no, you're quite <laughs> right. No, 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 no. Um, so it, it is this this longer and, and also a bit of a blending of pleasure, um, leisure and business um, to produce pleasure. Um, um, and I, I think we're seeing a bit more of that. Um, but, uh, you know, that's a good old tailwind. Um, mm. And it, it, it's just in generally... Uh, the international piece is coming back as well so just a number here which was interesting in the marriott results was um in in 2022 uh transient international was 16 percent of room nights um normally it's 19 percent so that's a you know there's a fair bit of uh, recovery still to come in from that international travel piece and there are no reasons to suspect that that isn't going to come you know, providing we finally get to the uh, the point where airlines are back at it um, and I think we're getting there gradually some other interesting little nuggets that came out is you know this notion that everything's changed in the post pandemic uh, environment um, well not so much um, housekeeping at Marriott's luxury properties it's now exactly the same as it was um, in 2019 there is some changes up or upscale they're saying they do a daily room tidy now I had to work out what do they mean by this daily room tidy well apparently it's uh, they make your bed and they empty your rubbish bin um, but they don't do a thorough clean um, mm. That's your daily tidy. Um, they'll change your towels um, as well. Um, select service, um, it now seems entrenched that they do an every other day cleaning routine, um, which is all interesting. Um, so this all comes out of that. So, uh, you know, we have got slightly um, lower nugs um, as a result of this tougher financing for development but of course the optimistic flip of this is we're going to see even stronger trading um, because the supply is going to be constrained so overall net net I think the outlook from the world's largest hotelier Marriott was very positive um, and I think it speaks to where we sit in terms of our our view of the industry overall which is um, very much one that is positive and you've got outliers like Hyatt continuing to uh, soar away in terms of the nug um, you know six percent is is really gunning for it in this tougher financing environment now let's cast our eye upon the online travel agents and uh, we have the numbers out from Airbnb and also an update from TripAdvisor to set off the accounting season and Airbnb uh, seemed to be going great guns um, very strong performance through 2022 and uh, delivering a decent uh, net income or profit as we like to call it um, looking quite strong uh, but the interesting thing about Airbnb's results was that they immediately then warned that they were probably going to have a slightly lower effectively what their, is their day rate into 2023. Um, TripAdvisor meanwhile uh, new boss Matt Goldberg is uh, has got his feet onto the desk and he's been telling us that he's got a plan to uh, turn TripAdvisor and its great big database of uh, reviews and 
comments from consumers into something that he can actually monetize in a more effective way in the future. So, but turning to Airbnb, um, yeah, they they they're, they're you know they're growing strongly. They've they've got more listings. They're matching listings with demand quite well at the moment. Um, and they are convinced that they are going to continue to grow, continue to um, work on a much leaner basis than they used to in the past, which means they're going to be delivering profit and uh, convinced that they can keep tweaking the engine to deliver more and better experiences and uh, stays for uh, for the guests. Um, so hmm. let's see. Limit. Yeah, indeed. Let's see. I mean, it's a limit to what they can do as a platform as opposed to actually operating the hotel or indeed setting standards, yeah. um, which they don't, you know, they're not franchised. Well, as I, 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 my calculator quickly declared to, to me that uh, they've not really improved their utilisation of their listings um, over the last few years. They've stayed pretty steady. For all the efforts, for all the efforts they've made in terms of you know new new ways of helping helping guests explore their inventory. When you say utilisation, what, what do you mean? Uh, I meant well, they, they say that the companies rec- so over four the last four years they say their supply mm-hmm. has gone up twenty six percent and their sales mm-hmm. have gone up twenty four percent. So right. my simple measurement means that's fairly flat utilisation. I mean, I, I know we're. Oh, I see. So sales per property yeah, is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, per, oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I know yeah. we. You know, the so listing. The, the problem is that like for like thing yeah. isn't isn't bumping yeah, up yeah, yeah. much. I mean, no, I'm I with you. I mean, the problem is obviously I'm you're counting you. listings, which are people who just put their their flat up for one weekend of the year because of the Super Bowl or the England versus Wales rugby in Cardiff. Uh, and at the other end of the scale, you've got the kind of serial. Um, Airbnbers who've got five or ten or twenty apartments in London who are letting them out illegally full time on Airbnb. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, that inventory has flexed with with the demand, and, and they've not they don't appear to have worked out ways to improve the utilisation or improve the, the 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 volume of sales per per unit. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the dirty secret of Airbnb, of course, despite all the hype about individual hosts, is that overwhelmingly their business comes through um, remote um, multi-property landlords. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's not really much of a hosting um, exercise (laughs) at all. But uh, anyway, um, I mean... um, Long term listeners to this podcast will know that we are um, bearish on Airbnb. Um, From a hotel industry perspective, it's a damp squib. It's overhyped and overvalued. Um, There are other perspectives, and I think you touched on them, Chris, there in terms of as a technology company investor, you're looking at Airbnb and what you're seeing is, wow, look at these fabulous margins. And there's no question they've got great margins Mm -hmm. and and they're profitable, you know, which is uh, in compared to many (laughs) technology companies is, yeah, you know, is, is a good thing. And so they are you know they are one of the technology company winners um the problem i have is i just i struggle to see where their growth is um now i think they've got some room to grow outside of the travel space um but um which is what and i think you touch on this in your report chris in terms of experiences yeah yeah the the mid-term and longer term lets and that kind of Mm. stuff um but the reality is um that they have probably maxed out in the private rentals bits, which is these um, apartments um, let on a short-term basis. 
and that business is about the quarter the size of the hotel market they're already by far the market leader with that they grew um really rapidly in that thanks to they they came and they put the, these all these things online it was a very fragmented market very messy market uh, which they um consolidated and stuck online and that's how they they had such rapid growth with that and they did a fantastic job with that but where to now i don't see that market growing there's not huge numbers more coming into the market and as um, we've repeatedly said i think if anything there are areas where uh, locations where you know we're going to see quite a significant shrinkage of supply um, there's a growing hostility towards these short-term lets in terms of what they're doing for the residential market um, and i think that's going to create more and more friction there now i'm not saying overnight it's going to collapse but it's very you know they've got they face some very meaningful headwinds i'd suggest in terms of growing their supply so i don't buy their hype with regard to growth in there so i don't think that private rental bit is going to grow very well at all um i don't see them being able to move into the hotel ota bit either i mean you know uh, booking holdings actually um has gone back above airbnb with its market cap um investors clearly believe in booking holdings and you know that it's uh, ability to um, gr keep growing and it's you know uh, unless you think they're going to be asleep at the wheel how will uh, um airbnb come in and steal the you know the a significant chunk of their lodging um business i don't i just don't see it the that that hotel business i just don't see how airbnb is going to move in on that so it is this longer term rental piece where there might be some growth um like private rentals um um, as was um it is a very fragmented market it was an off an offline market in many cases and could do with a tidy up i think the problem is it's slightly more complicated market in that you know if you're going to rent for a good period you do significantly more research and you're prepared to do more research so i don't think it's as easier win for them um as it proved in private rentals but i think certainly there's some ground there i just don't think there's enough ground to justify um their current valuation um i don't see them being able to grow quick enough to deliver that um we will see but i mean right now the market is has gone from it's you know it you know the, the market cap of airbnb shrunk from 100 billion down below to 60 um billion us dollars um it's now gone back up a bit it's now as we uh broadcast this it's about 70 rather as we record this it's 79 billion us dollars um booking holdings at 94 billion um at one point booking did slip below airbnb um and marriott's at 53 billion so investors clearly believe there is a better business in airbnb than in marriott um which i still find surprising even if you allow for a big expansion in the uh, um, longer let market now we're going to think about what's been going on at the major franchise groups uh, wyndham and choice uh, they both declared themselves in rude health having had a very good 22 and remember if we look a little bit further back they actually both had relatively good pandemics because they were, had the sort of cheaper end hotels particularly in the states that were um, the sort of places which were frequented by um, those essential workers who kept going 
out the, the sort of people that ha- that couldn't work from home and had to go out physically to do their jobs um, during the pandemic lockdowns. So um, the pair of them had quite a good, relatively good pandemic. And of course, last year, Choice uh, devoured Radisson Americas to add some more uh, mid and upscale uh, inventory into their portfolio. And um, the last few months have also seen Wyndham uh, take a bigger step into Europe, um, devouring uh, a Vienna house, uh, adding it adding it as another another bolt-on brand. Um, of course, something Wyndham's very good at internationally is acquiring new brands and adding it to their portfolio. Uh, the, the these two, while in some ways they very have very similar businesses, in other ways a complete contrast. Choice is almost entirely focused on the states and not much else. Wyndham actually is now doing more outside the US than it is inside the US and is accelerating that internationalization in its pipeline. Uh, but the both of the pair of them are looking at seemingly moving their businesses gently up market and concentrating on the more revenue intensive type hotels and brands in their portfolio. Curious actually to think about that as just as Hilton decides to launch something uh, back down down market these two are going up market um, but both look to be quite solid and quite strong and they're both building their loyalty uh, programs and businesses to to generate more and more direct business and the only thing we can we can wonder about is is who might either of them buy next or bolt on as an acquisition next because they're churning out cash Mm. I mean, the number that hit me was um, Choice um, saying it surpassed 2019 RevPAR levels for six consecutive quarters. I mean, that's, that's quite something, yeah. isn't it? So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the recovery is well and truly entrenched there. But this is, is an interesting contradiction here because the um, tro- Choice is actually shrinking in terms of its overall network. Um, reasonably strong growth at Wyndham, 4%, 22, expecting to between 2 and 4% for 23. Um, but Choice has the better EBITDA growth, uh, 11%, against sort of 5 or 6% projected EBITDA growth for um, Wyndham in the coming year. So it's quite interesting um, that that contradiction there. Um, one growing reasonably well and one so well, is that excluding um, the radisson yeah. america's <laughs> acquisition you mean uh, uh this yeah. is the future oh, this right, is, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, um, uh, yeah um yeah so of course obviously if the, you've added on yeah. radisson in there in terms of 20, 2022 yes they grew but um for 23 mm-hmm. no they're right. going backwards um um so i mean quality not quantity in particular <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, I think they're having a bit of a yeah. clear out of its of their economy brands. Well, they'll be uh, swapping choice. to Spark, um, Spark by Hilton. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, yes. Uh, well, I think they're they're below um, <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, where Hilton would ever yeah. go <laughs> go down to. Um, but they're they're you know they're 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 throwing out a lot of um, uh, the bottom end of that, and those properties are, are leaving. They're either being they're not no longer hotels, or they're going into become mm-hmm. independents is where they're heading. Um, so that's an interesting contradiction there um, for Wyndham. As you say, I think Choice still has an international exposure. Oh, yeah, they just never talk about um, it on but, the results. But, but, no, they never talk about it, no. And it doesn't seem to have much no. focus at all on it. So um, um, I wonder, what, you know, where that is all going. Um, 
because uh, as they move up market though they will want that international exposure especially with the radisson right. system i mean quite where that goes because um, that is you, know, you you need a global network really at that upper upscale um, positioning um, but where that goes is an interesting question mark i think um, we've speculated in the past about uh, um, what xinjiang are going to do with the rest mm. of radisson but uh, um, it's an interesting one um so what else to say on the franchising piece well i guess the other bit is that uh, wyndham um remained very much in buying mode and they talked about that a little bit and um ceo jeff bellotti said uh, we do believe that size matters scale matters and we'll continue to look for deals so um i that he clearly the you know i guess Wyndham and Hyatt are the ones who've got the uh, the checkbooks out right now. Right now, uh, we're travelling on to our five star no star awards this week, and uh, we're giving five stars to the uh, the UK hotel group L and R, who have uh, pretty gone for this green business in a big way. They've designed one of the new lodges at their Mole Resort in Devon to be not just energy neutral but energy positive. It's, it's just the one-off, It's a, but it's going to be a test bed for a variety of green construction measures. They're trying some of them uh, throughout the new lodges uh, at the, the resort, but uh, they're, they're building this one as a test bed, and obviously they'll be able to work out what works and what doesn't and implement that through other developments. So uh, well done for giving it all a try. And yeah yeah no i, I agree that I'm, I'm going to be an awkward so and so and say it does rather depend on how you measure um your your carbon output um and clearly what they're talking about here in terms of being energy positive is the scope one and scope two emissions and uh, um which is the ones um scope one is what you emit directly and scope two is the the carbon emissions from the energy you buy in it's scope three which is going to be massively problematic or potentially massively problematic depending on how we reach uh, you know finalized definitions on this so you know scope three deals with both um your supply chain and your consumers um and it's how much of that is the carbon that's emitted in your supply chain i don't think the supply chain is going to be an issue that's probably going to be okay but it's that consumer piece and how consumers mm. turn up at your resort i mean right now that isn't a factor in how how things are measured but you know um who knows where it's going to go and i think that's that's the big challenge for our sector is if soon if they start factoring in you know somebody jumps on a plane you know trying to make anything that's uh green is is impossible really frankly uh, you know for decades we we're not going to have green um air travel so i think that's a, a real problem um so that's an interesting in interesting potential challenge i think we've got to you know we'll, we'll look at more into that i think on our next esg uh, um, topic when that pops yeah okay up. and then uh, no stars this week are for cyber attacks and uh, their consequences now uh, a few months back intercontinental hotels had a, a, a major cyber attack and uh, some of the systems were disabled or certainly hobbled for a few days uh, and to, to add further to injury some of their franchisees in the US have launched a uh, lawsuit for the, the consequences which include losses um, and you know not being able to uh, book people in and all that sort of stuff um, so further pain for IHG after the initial pain of sourcing out the cyber attack um, 
yeah and 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 this is important actually if if you know one of the key things for any brand company one of the key offers to owners is, is this tech bit and you're looking to the brand company to deliver this tech bit effectively and efficiently and not have some major um meltdown which clearly happened to ihg in this case and um it was a, it, it was a big problem um and a lot of money was lost by the owners um and you know it's going to be interesting to see i mean typically uh franchises and managers have got away with this and simply say it's not us gov it's somebody else's fault um but this is a, certainly a court case to watch because if owners can uh, make IHG liable that uh, is, is puts a different complexion on um, and and frankly you know I have to say I am very much in, in, in support of uh, the owners here that there should be a degree of liability from there's a fiduciary duty here um, you know, as a manager and as a franchiser, to deliver that service properly, and it wasn't delivered. And on that salutary note, we'll say goodbye for now. <laughs>